I was with you about eight years ago. Did I have the book ready at that time, Love or Die? Christ's Wake Up Call to the Church. Well, I didn't remember whether this came out after those talks, but the talks were related to this. Revelation 2.4, very important message Christ gives to the church at Ephesus. A church like ours, love sound doctrine, love the gospel, discipline false teachers, lots of busyness. But the Lord says you're missing something and you've forsaken, you've given up the love you once had. And I'm going to remove your candlestick. I mean, this shows you how important love is to the church in in Christ's eyes. And then another book is If You Bite and Devour, one of the biblical principles for handling conflict. Wherever I go, this is what I see people fighting. In fact, you're not in a church 10 or 15 minutes and they want to tell you about the newest fight they're having. So it's a very, very relevant issue. After Adam and Eve sinned, Cain killed Abel, and we've been killing each other ever since. It's the history of the human race and, sadly, of the church of Jesus Christ, division and fighting. It appears to me that God gives his servants um, a theme, uh, a subject of great interest throughout their life. For example, uh, J.I. Packer says that the inspiration authority of the scriptures has been a theme that's carried him all his life. John MacArthur would say it would be expositional preaching of the Word of God. It's a subject you come back to again and again. Well, when I was in my very early 20s, it may have even been late teens, I became very disillusioned with what I was seeing in our church and among brothers and sisters. A lot of fighting. So much of it was over the most petty things like praying in these or thous or having multiple cups or a single cup or leavened bread and unleavened bread. It goes on and on. And what I noticed was how mean people could be and divisive they could be. These are God's people. This really discouraged me as a brand new young Christian and as a very young man. So I started a practice I have practiced all my life. And um, I didn't even know I was doing this at first. And I, I was so discouraged with this, this terrible attitudes and the way Christians spoke of one another. I was not raised in a Christian home. So, and I remember attitudes towards blacks and whites in those days. And it was just appalling. And of course, I was probably very naive and idealistic that Christians should be much better people than this. Of course, it does agree with the Bible. And so I started reading in my New Testament looking for something that's clear. Something that we wouldn't argue over. And I was looking for the key to why we act this way. Well, it didn't take me long to start identifying exactly the problem. And at the time, I called it the moral character of the church. I would call it today setting the right spiritual tone for the church. Now, we set our doctrines, but we need to set our attitudes just as well. The culture of the church, the atmosphere or you might want to call it the spirit of the church. And that's Revelation 2.4. They had sound doctrine. They were working hard. They, they were enduring for the Lord. But they didn't have sound orthodox living because the Lord says you don't love like you're not loving as you once loved one another, as you once loved the Lord, as you once loved the, the lost. And, you, and, and he uses a very active idea that you've forsaken it. You've abandoned it. And so... In those days, we didn't have computers, and so what I did, and, I, and this practice 
followed me all my life. Whenever I was interested in a subject, I started writing out every verse. Now, today it would be so much easier with a computer. I just write out the verses. Found over 300 verses on, on love in the New Testament. And all the New Testament said about humility and about gentleness and forbearance with one another. But love was the overriding key. And so throughout my life, this has been a theme that I've come back to again and again. Then somewhere in my later 20s, someone gave me the book, Brother Indeed. And that cinched it for me. I realized this is one of the keys. It's one of the missing elements in our church. And the life of Robert Chapman has had a huge impact on me. And uh, we even did that little booklet, Agape, Leader, uh, Agape Leadership, Lessons in Spiritual Leadership from R.C. Chapman. He was called in his day the Apostle of Love. And how he left his legal practice and took over a little a fighting Baptist church that had gone through three pastors in 18 months. He was sure to be the fourth pastor to be shipped out. And how he turned that little Baptist church around with his patience and his love and his Bible teaching. So it became a great worldwide known church. Known for missions, by the way. And his ability to reconcile people. So, a theme in, in four or five of my books is the theme of love in the church. Or setting the right spiritual tone in a church. When visitors come to your church, they can sense within minutes... Is there joy? Uh, or are you a fighting group? Is it hurting you to be a Christian? Look like you were baptized in lemon juice? Weaned on a dill pickle? You ever hear of the fellow who is a black belt Baptist? I said, what's a black belt Baptist? Baptist and mad about it! Some of us look like it's hurting us to be a Christian. No, the church should be a place of joy and generosity and bearing one another's burdens and deep fellowship. That's going to be one of our first points here. So, I want to recommend these books to you that each of you set the right... It's not just the elder's job to set the right spiritual tone in the church. Now, we're looking at the subject of aging gracefully and aging effectively for God. And uh, last night, you have the outline in front of you. Last night, we looked at one of the keys to aging effectively is feeding your soul, feeding your mind, sitting at the Lord's feet. The Bible is food. Moses said, you can't just live by food alone. You must live by the very words of God, which caused you to be born again and then strengthens you and builds you up. Without the Bible, you cannot be a strong, mature Christian. And you will not be a gracious, effective Christian in your old age. You'll just be a crabby, old, isolated person. That's the natural direction. That's where you're going if you don't have God's Word directing you in life and showing you the correct path. Now, second, we want to look at seek to spend more time with God's people. Now, remember our, our goal. How do you age gracefully and effectively for God? And remember, young men, I love these young men back. Look, look they're so good looking, you know. Don't worry, someday you'll look ugly like us. So, 
You're aging too. And these principles, fix them early in your life. Because I'll tell you, when you do get older, you get stubborn. And older people have their own rebellion. And refusal to change and improve. So learn these things young. Because I'll just tell you, at a certain age, people rebel against learning and changing. They do. That's good. That's good if it's true. That's very good. And that's the purpose of this, that we don't become stiff-necked in old age and unteachable and refusing to make changes in our life when we're confronted with these changes. You've never done it this way before? I think revival is about ready to break out here. All right, number two. Number two in your outline. Seek to spend more time with God's people. It'll keep you young. It'll keep you young. Not neglecting, Hebrews 10.26, it's in your notes. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. This was very serious, by the way. I know it's just a short little phrase. But when God's people do not meet with God's people, this is a very serious problem. And it will lead to terrible consequences. You may not realize it, but you need the Lord's people. Or you will get far off track. You need to meet on Sunday with the Lord's people. If you've ever visited shut-ins, and we have a number of shut-ins in our church, which we want regularly visited, they will tell you this. Every one of them will tell you this. I miss Going to church on Sunday morning. It throws their whole week off. They can't even register time anymore. You ask those people, are you missing something? Aren't there any good shows? You can see religious TV in the morning. They'll tell you, I miss coming to church. A lot more happens on Sunday morning when you're meeting with the Lord's people than you even realize. Because you're meeting with the Lord. We're in the house of the Lord. We're in a holy temple as we meet together. So, this is very serious, as is the habit of some. But encouraging one another. You know, just being with one another is encouraging, actually. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, Ephesians 4.25, I want to emphasize the last part. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Here's the point I want to emphasize, and we'll talk about it in just a moment. For we are members one of another, the beautiful, beautiful truth of the body of Christ. Now, there are literally, literally hundreds of articles, books, magazines on aging and the science of longevity. And one of the secrets of aging gracefully and effectively is having strong, solid social relationships. Now here, I just, I've got many articles, many, but here's one I just got out recently, and it was out of AARP, which you may not like, but it has lots of good information in it about aging. And here's a whole page, and the page says, isolation is more than being alone, it's being at risk. Being at risk. Prolonged isolation and loneliness 
erode well-being. Listen, are you listening? Equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. How many of you here smoke 15 cigarettes a day? Just not that many of you. Okay, just one out there. Very expensive. You may want to have a donation for this brother so he can. Now, I don't know if this is true, but it's here in a paper, so it says it. So you'll have to decide. Equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. That's why AARP Foundation is launching a collaborative effort to end isolation and loneliness. In fact, Billy Graham in one of his last sermons says one of the great problems in America is loneliness. Now, we in the Christian community wonder, is that really a problem? You have to go out into the world and to see widowers and widows who are alone, eat every meal alone, day day and night alone. To realize there's a big world out there where there's a lot of loneliness and isolation. In an, end, uh, in an effort to end isolation and loneliness by helping to build social connections, we need. Now, this is just one article, and uh, I see it almost weekly if you look at Google News or if you look at Time Magazine or if you have any kind of magazines you get. They will put these newest uh, researchers in, in, in the magazines. They'll let you know. But this is a big one, they say. The secret to aging is to have strong social relationships. Well, what is the Christian community? A gigantic, super-duper family. We actually need one another to grow spiritually and to stay healthy. Iron sharpens iron, the book of Proverbs says. In fact, there's a, quite a bit in Proverbs on, well, of course, we, we're looking for that wisdom, the heart of wisdom to age properly. There's quite a bit in Proverbs on how to age well. Proverbs says, iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. They literally will keep you alive. Did you know your children and your grandchildren are important? In fact, newest studies show that very healthy people have good relationships with their children. And grandchildren. Now, your children and grandchildren at a certain age can be a real annoyance because they're so loud and they're all there running and tearing the house apart, literally. Don't isolate yourself from that. I've had men call me and say, I'm just so tired of my grandchildren. They, they rip the house up and they hurt things. I said, well, buy other stuff. We withdraw and we get isolated. We're all afraid that someone's going to tear our house up or maybe mark the walls. In fact, I was in a church. They didn't want an Awana program. You know why? Well, it might hurt the building. I think they've got their priorities uh, incorrect. Those little children and those grandchildren will help keep you sharp and alive and and break you out of your little self-centered Life And as you get older, you get more self-centered and more self-protective. It's a natural tendency in older people. Well, children and grandchildren, they'll keep you sharp and they'll keep you alive or they'll kill you, either one. And then marriage also is a key factor in living longer. Now, you know, maybe you remember this was on television about several years ago. I think at National Geographic did this. They went all around the world to places and pockets in the world where people lived to be about 100 years of age. And they interviewed these people. It was very, very interesting. And I remember in, um, in um, Central America, a certain part of it, uh, they looked at their diet and their habits, 
why these people are living into the high 90s and early hundreds. What, what was the key? Well, was one key was they kept busy. And I remember this particular scene where this man was like 102 and 3 and he had, and he had his machete and every day he'd go out with his machete and he'd cut grass and, and work in the garden. 102, 103 is out there with the machete. You know, I think you're going to cut your hand off or something like that. And their diet, which was a very good diet, and very natural diet from their environment. But the big thing was very strong family connections. And the children and grandchildren helping the elderly and giving them a relate, conversation and talk and... Um, purpose and meaning in this. So, think of the body of Christ. One of the most beautiful teachings in the New Testament. We are the body of Christ. Members one of another. The world has nothing like this on us. Now, I want to remind you the body of Christ is not just a metaphor. It's a reality. We really are connected. Now, I was not raised in a Christian family. And my dad, my mom are dead. Do you know that's over? That will never be connected again. When you die in this body, in our blood connection, our DNA and blood, it's done. But when you're born again and the Holy Spirit comes inside you, he connects you to every other believer. And that lasts for eternity. You're part of an eternal family. and The DNA is the Holy Spirit. So right now, there's an invisible rope going through here. Going all, all the way through here. And you know what it's called? The Spirit of God. And this, listen to this. The Messiah, rejected by this world, crucified, risen from the dead, is in heaven. And we, the body of Christ, the entire body of Christ, connected by the Holy Spirit, are together, together. No one's connected to Christ alone. Together are connected to Christ in heaven. It's not taught in the Old Testament. It's only taught in the New Testament. The body of Christ. Members one of another. So my hand's a member of my body. My foot is a member of the body. My eyes a member of the body. My ears a member of the body. It's one body. It's not a bunch of bodies. One body. And we're all members. And we are to be caring for one another. The one anotherings. You ever see how many one anotherings there are in the New Testament? Pray for one another. There's negative one another's too. Don't criticize one another. So what I want to say to you. The church will keep you alive. And it'll make your life happier as you get older. Because you don't get isolated. Because we're members of a living organism called the church. Which should be to us a very exciting doctrine. The church. And I don't mean just some building or denomination. I mean the living organism. The people of God. The family of God. Each connected to one another. By the Holy Spirit that gives us the life of God within us. And, and let me repeat, uh, Romans chapter 6, alive to God. We're, we're, we're dead to sin and alive to God. We serve in newness of life. It's a marvelous doctrine. And the doctrine of every member ministry. You look at the early years of the Christian church, and I'm thinking 200 years later, 300, 400 years later, this doctrine was completely lost, and the church became the clergy. And within five, six hundred years, the clergy were dispensing salvation. No salvation without the clergy. The clergy became the church, and you were just the, the bystanders. 
this wonderful doctrine of every member ministry. Every member having a spiritual gift. Every member having a part in building the body of Christ. And when every member is not functioning, it's a sick body. Now, I point this out to you because there is a great joy being with the Lord's people. A great joy. And I believe that joy and that bond together will make you a healthier person, physically and spiritually. You need it. You may not think you need the body of Christ. You ever meet Christians who say, well, I don't need to go to church? That's a complete falsehood. They need to go to church. They need to be identified with fellow believers. They need to take their proper place in the house of God. And that includes the Lord's Supper, that you participate in the Lord's Supper and not be a silent member. You can always say, thank you, Lord. You know, we give every man in the church an opportunity to lead the church in worship. That's a great privilege. I hope you take your place in the Lord's house that way. Well, there's a joy and an excitement in sharing life together. Uh, you live together with the Lord's people. So, some of you here have been in, in this church for many, many years. I've been many, many years in our church. My life has been lived with these brothers and sisters all these years. I'm a better person for it. They're a better person for it. I'm not isolated. I'm not Robinson Crusoe. I'm not on a, an island all alone. God does not. It's not God's will for your life. His will for your life is to be totally active with the Lord's people and in the body of Christ because you are a member of that body. We're not to be hermits. It's a wonderful story told by Jeffrey Bull in his book, When Iron Gates Yield. Jeffrey Bull was a missionary to Tibet and he was taken captive by the communists. Maybe you know this story. And he was put in these terrible prisons and isolated. Isolated from believers and, and other humans. And one day he was being moved, and, and the Christians heard about this. He was going to be moved from his prison and taken to another prison. And so he had to leave the prison and come out to a truck which would transport him. So the believers were waiting. And Jeffrey Bull in the book, Iron Gates, When Iron Gates Yield, tells the story of when he left the prison and was going out to the truck. Believers waved to him. And he said it was the sweetest fellowship. Believers waving to him. He felt his connection. And he knew they were all praying for him. Now, we don't go through that. But sometimes we take it for granted, the believers. We take for granted the body of Christ. Maybe if you got isolated in a prison for a long while. I understand. I don't know how true some of these facts are. They say there's over 40,000 believers in prisons in North Korea. Can you imagine what those believers are going through? Imagine what a joy for them to know that believers all over the world, and it is true, believers all over the world, uh, there's a great, great interest worldwide in North Korea and, and, and great efforts, great efforts in prayer and in other things that can't be spoken about publicly to minister to the believers in North Korea. Brothers, you need the people of God. You need them. Let me give you some practical ideas. One idea, it's a, it's a brilliant idea, don't miss church. Don't be the kind of believer if you have a sniffle, you don't go to church. Or maybe it's too cold today to go to church. Or like the lady who, who, when the elders went to visit her and asked her why she hadn't been coming to church, she said, well, it's 
too far to walk to, and it's too short to drive to. <laughs> Listen, you can wind up with any excuse you want, but you are part of the body. And the body must meet and the body must be together. Don't miss church. Second, be involved in a Bible study, a home group, and attend faithfully. You need, even in a larger church, you need breakdown groups where you're, where you're responsible one for another and you feel you're needed and to take responsibility for that group and to encourage the group and to be awake. Your presence is more important than you realize. Most of us do not realize the importance of presence and influence we have. We all have. We just don't know. We all have our little niche, our little circle. And your presence is important. It's the whole thing of the sheep and the shepherd. This is very important for the elders to understand their presence among the sheep. So be committed to a small group, a home group, a Bible study, a prayer group, whatever it is, so that you have accountability, you're part of something, you are felt when you're there, and you're also missed when you're not there. And then use your home. I'll tell you, there's nothing like the home to build community. There's, there's nothing like it. You can only do so much Sunday morning. Everyone's running around. They're busy on Sunday morning. But there's something about meeting with believers in a home that now you know each other. You know, a lot of things have changed over the years, and when you go to places to speak, most often today they want to put you in a hotel. So we'll put you in a nice hotel. In fact, we have a speaker come in. He says that we have to be in a hotel. It's fine. Put him in a hotel. You know what you miss when you go to a hotel? First of all, the food isn't as good. And then you get to meet people that you will know the rest of your life. And you're taken care of much better. I always love being in a home. And when I'm in a home... Not only am I cared for much better, but I get to know those people. I don't know them. If I just meet them Sunday morning, I don't know them. And I have friends all over from being in their homes when I am out speaking like this. Maybe uh, you can't get out much because of health. Then invite people to your home. Invite them to come for a cup of tea. You don't have to feed them a meal. A cup of tea. And as a Christian, you know, I don't drink coffee. But if you have to drink coffee, that's okay. <laughs> have you ever met a man who has more puns than this man? Grounds for discipline, he said. Grounds for discipline. There's no end to them. You know, we every two weeks we're on a Skype call all together, Bob, myself, and others. And I'm just waiting. What is he going to pick up on for a pun? I can't even think of a pun, but he, this guy's. Must be something wrong with him. <laughs> now, I want to encourage you, and one more thing before we do our next point. When you're with people, spiritual conversation. Did you hear me? Spiritual conversation. So you're with some believers, maybe you're in the car together, talk about the weather, you talk about the sports. That's fine. That's fine. Talk about coffee grounds and things like this. But move that conversation eventually to talking about the Lord and about your lives in the Lord together. Now, I see this missing in a, in a way that was not true years ago. Years ago, if there was a wedding, if there was a birthday party, the Lord was brought into it. And there was spiritual conversation. There was maybe singing, maybe a prayer, or have a testimony. I go to parties today. I go to weddings today. Christian weddings, Christian parties, Christian 
birthday parties, except for praying for the food, nothing is said of the Lord. Nothing is said of the Lord. I think this, you're, you're missing something. We've been trying to exhort our, conver- our own congregation because I've gone to too many birthday parties and celebrations where there's nothing of the Lord there. It could be believers or un- as well as unbelievers there. Remember, we're different people. We're the body of Christ. And we're to be encouraging one another daily. So, in conversation with believers, make sure that the Lord is there at the center and you talk about him and you talk about what scriptures you read or what you've been learning and ask other people lots of questions about what they have been learning. Very important that we have as Christians spiritual conversation. And I don't mean that in any super sanctimonious way. I mean it as a command of the scriptures, a duty to encourage one another in the Lord daily, daily, he said. All right. Now, third, keep your mind active. Now, here's a marvelous verse for aging. A marvelous verse. Psalm 92, 14. In fact, I want you to open your Bibles to this passage. Psalm 92. If you're over 50, you better know this verse. If you're under 50, you don't have to know it as well. But over 50, you've got to know this verse. Psalm 92. Let's pick it up at verse 12. The righteous. Now, he's thinking of those who obey the Lord, those who keep the law. Those are the covenant people of the Lord who believe in him. The righteous flourish like a palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. In other words, increased vigor and life. Verse 13, they are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish. Notice the emphasis on flourishing in the courts of our God. In other words, this is care and protection in his presence. But Now, here's the verse I want to emphasize. They still bear fruit in old age. Oh, this is a beautiful verse. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. Now, some of the translations gets rid of the word sap. I don't know what translation you're using. And it misses this. Because the image is the image of a tree with longevity and staying fresh and green. So, if you don't see that word, your translation has removed it. To declare that the Lord is upright. In other words, the old people have a job declaring the things of God. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. Now, let's look at this verse because it's a marvelous, marvelous verse of Scripture. And I want to make sure you understand it when we leave here. Notice the first thing about the righteous as they grow older. They still bear fruit in old age. We normally think that isn't true. You're, you're of no use after a certain age. No one really wants you around. You've left too much of a carbon footprint. It's now time for you to be euthanized. So actually, people believe that. But notice here, the believer uh, is bearing fruit in old age. You know, a fruit tree has only one purpose. It's to bear fruit. That's its purpose. And when a fruit tree doesn't bear fruit, they cut it down, they restock it with a tree that will bear fruit. And then I think, when I think of this verse of John 15, great, great passage of Scripture, that it is the Father's will, and the Father is the vine dresser, and it's His will that we bear 
much fruit. In fact, he prunes us, he disciplines us, so we will have a life of fruit bearing. Now, what is this fruit bearing? We don't want to be a barren tree. Hardly anything is more contrary to the Christian life than be a fruit, fruitless Christian, an unfruitful Christian. What does it mean? Let's see what it means to be a fruit-bearing Christian. We'll turn first to Titus 3. Many, many verses on this. I'm just going to pick a few. Titus 3. And look at verse 14. Titus 3, 14. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. You see that? Now look over at chapter 2, verse 14. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Zealous for good works. So, some of the fruit bearing in old age is to be involved in good works and good deeds and service to others, using your spiritual gift, praying for others, bearing one another's burdens, Galatians 6.2. But there's another side to fruit bearing. Turn to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. So, part of bearing fruit is a life of service, a life of doing things for people, helping people. Being generous, looking out for needs, that's part of it. But here's another part of this fruit bearing. And it's the harder part. It's the harder part. And it's Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Someone has said this is the shortest biography of Christ's life. Patience, kindness, goodness, Faithfulness, gentleness, self-controlled or discipline against such things, there is no law. In other words, my dear friends, part of fruit bearing is change of character. It is growing into Christ's likeness, which is ultimately sanctification. Christ's likeness, the image of the Son. God wants us to be like His Son. In bearing fruit, we are changed in character. We become more patient people. We become more gentle people, not irritable people or angry people, mean people, stubborn people. So, in old age, we are bearing much fruit. It's the will of God. Now, notice the second thing about this verse. The second thing said is that they are ever Full of sap. Now, that sounds a little corny, but it's actually very important. When trees stop producing sap, it becomes brittle and it breaks and finally it dies. Sap in the tree provides continuous nourishment. It allows the tree to be flexible and to live in very, very harsh environments. Notice now, the righteous do not run out of sap in old age. They don't become brittle, broken, and die. When a tree no longer produces or distributes sap throughout its limbs, it dies. But these people never run out of sap. The sap is flowing. 
throughout their life. There's a constant supply. Now, we know this would be applied to the Holy Spirit of God within our lives that produces the fruit of the Spirit. God wants to produce all these beautiful virtues and characteristics in our life. That's His will. And it goes right into old age. I just read the other day of a man who was well known. I told you his name. And he's 94. And he said at 94, he's very active, but at 94 he says, I am discovering more and more things about myself than ever before. 94. He's discovering things about himself. For the Christian, we're discovering the fruit of the Spirit in our life. And what God is right to the end, to your last breath, when you're in the hospital bed. Oh, what a ministry you can have there. Praying, witnessing to the nurses, showing Christ. When believers come to see you and they say, my, I was blessed coming to visit and see this person today. You can be shining forth Christ as you take your last breath. And don't ever give up being a light and a witness for Christ. This sap is flowing. What a marvelous thing to be old and yet alive. Alive. The sap is flowing. I want the sap to flow and flow well when I'm even older than this. And then he says, the third thing he says, it's evergreen. In other words, the tree has beautiful leaves. There's a beauty there. There's a production of oxygen through soda, uh, photosynthesis. There is life. There is vitality. This represents people in their old age. They're still bearing fruit. The sap is flowing. And they're green. Providing for others. And there's a beauty to it and a life to it. Did you know that many, many people do their greatest work later in life? Franklin Lloyd Wright. I've been in two of his homes in Chicago, or maybe one home in, in his Chicago. A lady I knew took me through a Franklin Lloyd Wright home she owned. Famous architect did most of his greatest work after 69. Uh, Alfred Whitehead, one of the greatest philosophers, published most of his best works after 65. Picasso was producing masterpieces in art at 90. And I think of Dr. Francis Schaeffer. He wasn't even known till in, in his 50s. And had this great influence in the six, uh, 60s and 70s on the evangelical mind. And many, many Christians like myself were deeply impacted by uh, this sort of awakening to culture and understanding culture and how to witness to it. He was in his 50s when this happened. Your greatest work may be ahead. You'll be bearing fruit into old age. And that sap is running. I hope that sap keeps running. Don't let people tell you you're done because you're over 65. You're not needed anymore. Personally, the devil would love you to believe that. He would. He'd really like you to believe. You're done. Forget about it. You know, rest a little bit. You've worked so hard throughout life. Stay home. Be safe. I actually know people like this. We have them in our own church. Play it safe. Don't stick your neck out there. Don't try to learn new things. That's ridiculous. No purpose in it anyway. So it's a, really a direct delusion from Satan. Now, the way to keep the sap flowing and the fruit coming is by keeping your mind active. You're probably wondering, what does this have to do with the mind active? Well, 
when the sap is flowing, it gets up into your brain, right? And it produces fruit and it produces the beauty of the green. So if your mind is not active, you will not see this fruit in your life and you will not see the sap flowing. Did you know only 15 years ago, scientists did not know if the brain can regenerate cells or make connections between these synapses, these nerves. Now we know, we do know you're losing brain cells, but now we know you can build brain cells and you can improve the connections between these nerves in the brain. And you do this by using it. That's a novel idea. Use it or lose it. For the Bible-believing Christian, this should be a no-brainer. Because really, for the Christian, all of life is learning the word of the Lord. You ever notice how big the Bible... That's a big book. You're to master this book. And it's got thin little pages. And there's a lot in here. You are to know the book. And you are to know the story. There's a storyline. starts in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created. Ends in uh, uh, Revelation 22 with the new heavens and new earth. And there's a story that starts in Genesis 1 and goes through. We call it progressive revelation. And the books of the Bible fit. And the, the covenants and the patriarchs and the promises all fit in a story that all leads to Christ. He's the, he's the, the key to the storyline. And that's why Jesus could say on the Emmaus Road, I'm going to show you the things in the Bible that speak of me. Do you know that Moses speaks of me? The prophets speak of me. The tabernacle, the set, all speak of me. Now, if I were to say that to you, you probably should uh, call my wife and get me some help, give me some medication, and take me home. But Christ said that. He said, so the Bible's all about me. All, all that you've read, it's, it's all pointing to me. And you know why he could say that? Because it's true. That's why. Now, you're to master this book. You have your whole life to master this book. And hopefully you know a lot more now than you knew two years ago. That's your job, to know the word of the Lord. And to minister it to others. To your circle of people. Your children, your grandchildren, the people you work with, the people in your circle. Everyone has a different niche here. We're not all reaching the same people. So... We are ever on a learning process. We are students. In fact, we use the word believer. But remember, another description of a Christian is a disciple. And what is a disciple? He's a learner. He's a student. He's a pupil. He's a follower of a great master. And the great master is the Lord Jesus Christ. And our lifelong pursuit is Christ. And to be like him. That's why I love the life of Robert Chapman. Because Robert Chapman said, many preach Christ, but not many live Christ. My great goal will be to live Christ. Incarnation of Christ. That's our goal. So it's an ever, never-ending process of learning and changing and maturing and, and going forward in a direction. And you know the Bible is an interesting book. There's lots of great history in it. Uh, there's deep theological truths the mysteries of life, many of them are brought to our attention in this great book called the Bible. I think of the Bereans. When the great Paul came to them, and he was a brilliant rabbi, they questioned him. And they checked him out. And it says, they examined the scriptures daily to see if these things are so. 
We challenge the people in our church. Because you hear it from the platform doesn't mean it's true. Your job is to check it out. Your job is to open the Bible and say, is that true? I got a little feeling. This I don't see this in the Bible. That's great. Do that. You're to be a Berean Christian. I love that. Acts 17, 11. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word of God, examining the scriptures daily. Check out and see if these things are so. That's the kind of believer you're to be. We are thinking beings, thinking beings. And that's a marvelous thing. We don't just, like the cows, stand out in the middle of the pasture all night, all day. I always wonder, what are they thinking about? Well, they're probably not. But do you realize the human brain can think deep thoughts? Look at, look at what we've done in the area of science and biology and technology. I, I'm just amazed at the power of the human brain. But we're also to know that the mysteries of God and the deep things of God. God wants you to think deep and go deeper. Someone has said the Bible is full of infinities and immensities. It's full of infinities and immensities. God is revealing himself. And let me tell you, we've only scratched the surface of the scriptures. We only scratched the surface. Maybe John, he's got it all. You don't have it all. Okay. You don't have all knowledge and all prophecy. No. Okay. Good. I wouldn't believe you anyway. Think deep thoughts after God. Think about the meaning of life and about the afterlife. The purposes of life. God wants you to do that. He's put it in his book. What a terrible thing when people don't know his book. You know, I had a phone call. I, I get to, I mean, you would not believe some of the crazy phone calls I get. Here's a, here's a crazy one. Guy calls me up. I get phone calls almost every day because of the book Biblical Eldership. Most of the phone calls I get, I would say 80% is about fighting in churches. That's with most of them. They're not nice, fun questions. So this man calls me up and says, now, we want to bring this man as an elder. But the question we have is he said he's not read the Bible. He's just read some parts of it. Should he be an elder? So first, I almost hung myself. But I got control of myself, and I said, now, hold a second. Is this what you want the people in your church to be like, having you read the Bible? Well, no, no, we want them to read the Bible. Well, this is one of your leaders, and he hasn't done it yet. So he's a horrible example. And he's not above reproach, let me tell you, because he has no regard for God. How can you have a man that's a leader of God? He, has no, he doesn't have enough regard, regard for God to even read God's book. Best-selling book, by the way, in the world. Over 7 billion copies. He doesn't have enough regard for God to even open his book and read it and devour it. No, he cannot, he cannot be a leader among the Lord's people. Uh, he's a long way from that. So, we're to be people of the book. And it must mean, as we said yesterday, sitting at Christ's feet, listening to his teaching. Just go back to that verse, verse 38. Sitting at Christ's feet, listening to his teaching. And we can do it every day. In fact, it's better than Mary, because after Jesus left, Mary's got to go, what did he say? I just can't get it all. And that's right. We, you know, when a, a sermon is done, did you know 80% of it you lose almost immediately? I mean, that's discouraging to the preacher. He spent 20, 30 hours preparing his material, and 80% is gone before you get to the back door. Probably after lunch, 90% is gone. That's true. That's true. You ever ask the children in your church and they come out of Sunday school and they get in the car? You say, hey, what would you learn in school? What would you learn in Sunday school? What do they all say? I don't know. 
Check that out. What did you learn today? I don't know. You wonder, why does anyone do this? Well, they actually are learning things. They just can't articulate. They are learning. Use your brain. Be active. Be active. Use it or you lose it. It's the only way to keep the sap flowing and the green leaves green. Now, there's many, many things to help us today. Online, I mean, this is the amazing part of the computer. You can get courses in church history, courses in theology, courses in Bible survey. Online, free. Many schools are putting this out. There is so much. If you have just a little bit of self-discipline and interest, you can get so much good teaching right online. And then, this is a challenge. Studies have shown if you will enter new areas, you'll build new areas of your brain. Oh, let me see. If this, I have a, a quote here. Let me see if it's here. No, it's later. Uh, it's an amazing quote about how the brain responds to new things. Have you ever thought, I know it's a horrible thought, but just think, just be open-minded for a moment, that you could take a course in Greek or Hebrew? You say, no, no, please. You've stepped over the line. A year or two, half hour a day, four days a week, you can read the Gospel of John within a year or two. It's a simple book to read. Hebrew is actually a small language. It's not a big language with a big vocabulary. I know the, the letters look funny, but you'll get that in a couple of days. And then there's... You, you'll, you'll shock yourself and say, this is, this is amazing. A stupid person like me reading Hebrew. Dumb person. I mean stupid. It will help your brain. You'll be able to use different commentaries, different tools you've never used before if you're a good Bible student. So just think about it for a moment. You could do it. But maybe you've set up some kind of mental block that you can't do it. But even on a physical level, it'll help your brain. It'll open up new areas of your brain. And then an instrument. Now, there's a reason for this, not just to blow a horn or something, but with an instrument, you can worship the Lord. Right? If you learn uh, the guitar, which is a very easy instrument, literally, literally, in weeks, you can be playing Christian songs with the chords. The chords. Isn't that right, Tom? Yeah, within weeks. Maybe another instrument you want to try. It will help your brain. It will keep the sap flowing. But think of it as a means of worshiping the Lord with your own instrument. You just have to be open to trying new things and going forward and using that wonderful brain, that wonderful, powerful little three to four pound organ in your head, which is the most complex and powerful organ in the universe. You can think the thoughts of God after him. You can relate to God. The brain is built that way. We're not cattle in a field just standing there that, standing there all day. God made us to look up to him and to know him. It's amazing. Don't sell your brain short. You're hurting yourself. Just press yourself. Try some new things. The great danger, and it's a great danger, we have today is the distractions that are all around us. And do you know what the greatest time-wasting machine in the world is? All those are true, but the TV. 
Now, are there anything good? Is there anything good on TV? Yes, there are some things that are good, but most of it's junk. The vast majority is anti-Christian. And how Christians sit there and watch murder and killing and cursing and sex, it's almost, you should get sick by it. I can hardly, when I see people killing one another and even these advertisements with the guys going around with a knife, I just saw one yesterday. A Christian should say, I can't even look at that. And too many of us are very comfortable with it. Well, it's the frog in the kettle. We've watched so much junk, you're, you're used to it. It will hurt your brain. It will hurt your brain. It will hurt your Christian life. And I can tell you from my own father-in-law living with us for four years, just spending all day, all day in front of the TV. It's just, it's pathetic. It's, it's, it's numbing. It's, it's dumbing down life. You know, it's very easy. It's very easy to waste time. It's very easy to waste your life. It's harder to seize the little tiny bit of time you've got, which we saw in Psalm 90. Not only is it short, it's fast moving and very uncertain and full of trouble. That's right. That's what Moses said. He knows. He saw a lot of it. But the Christian with the power of the Holy Spirit can seize time and be a good steward of time. Wonderful gift that God gives you. So I ask you, brothers, to think of a disciplined use of our life, a profitable, fruit-bearing life unto God. And deal with those areas, those traps. There are traps. We'll look at a couple of traps as we conclude this series. Traps that ruin and waste life. I like that book by John Piper. Don't waste your life. And he wrote that to young people. Because think of it, in young years, they start to waste their life and it gets a, to be a, a trajectory of their life. Wasted, wasted years. God doesn't want that. He wants you to bear fruit in old age. The sap flowing and the green leaves and the beauty of what life should be. Now, our fourth, our fourth area is seek to stay strong and live long. So, we've looked at you've got to feed the spiritual life. You've got to feed on the things of God to stay strong for the Lord to the end. And then we have to use our mind. We have to have fellowship with other people. That's God's will. Don't ever say, what's God? I, I, I hear this. I don't know what God's will for me is. I don't know God's purpose for me. How can a Christian say that? God's will for us is to be fruit bearers. It's to be with the people of God. It's to use our spiritual gift. It's to be involved in the Great Commission. Do you want more? I can give you more things. What God's will for you is. I don't know what churches they go to. That they don't know God's will for their life. And they don't know the purpose of God. God's will is that you mature into Christ's likeness. And that you do it every single day and know Him and know His will. Minister your spiritual gift. Take your place in the house of God. Why, if there's anyone who knows what life is about, is a a born-again Christian who knows uh, the the plan of God. Now, we're going to be a little more practical on this one. Seek to stay strong and live long. Well, my dear friends, you have to live in this body. I mean, that's what God's will is. You live in a body. He gave you a body and a soul. And uh, someday he's going to give you a new body, the resurrection. We're not going to be spirits floating around. Jesus isn't a spirit floating around. 
He has a body, a resurrected body. We'll have a body like him. It's going to be an imperishable body. It's a body fitted for the new heaven and the new earth. And get ready. No HMOs, no funeral directors, no doctors, no nurses, no hospitals. You don't need any of that stuff. It's going to be a perfect body like Christ's body. And you live in it forever on the new heaven and new earth. We're going to be on the earth. We're not immaterial beings. You know, ghosts. People playing harps on a cloud. That sounds boring, you know. You ever see those funeral notices? Entered his eternal rest. <laughs> rest is nice, but not eternal rest. I mean, it's boring. Just, oh, resting. Yeah. No, Revelation says you're going to serve him. You're, you're going to be busy. And you know, you, if you don't like it now, you're going to be studying. You're going to be learning because God is infinite. No boundaries. No boundaries. There's no end to the things of God that you will be learning throughout eternity. We'll be busy for the Lord. Now, we have to live in this body, and the body is a stewardship. We're actually going to be judged for what we do in this body. It's a wonderful gift from God. And the more I learn about the human body, which is a very interesting science, and the breakthroughs we're having scientifically about understanding the body... It's far more complex than we ever, ever thought. Just the DNA molecule. The whole code of your life. Everything about It's in a little code. You can't even see it. You already see it with a microscope. It's all in there. Bad things and good things, by the way. And now they're snipping, snipping little parts of the DNA and exchanging them to improve things. Oh, amazing. Amazing. We're going to learn a lot more in the next 25 years. But what we are learning is how marvelous the human body is. God made it just the way he wanted it made. And his son has a body like that. Not just a gigantic accident. He designed the whole thing. And you have a body. You're responsible for the care of that body. So, 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8 says, Train yourself for godliness. Now, when people say, what's the will of God? There it is right there. I just gave it to you. What's the will of God? And the word... My Bible says train, but really, I think a really exact translation would be exercise yourself. Some of your Bibles, this is a First Timothy 4, 7, 8. Some of your Bibles say discipline. So I, I like exercise yourself for godliness because that's a word we're using today. Everyone's into, a lot of people are into exercise. Well, but exercise yourself to godliness. For while bodily training is of some value. So what I'm going to say to you does have value. It's not just a waste of time or who cares about the body. Uh, and of course, there are some religions who say that the body's nothing. Don't worry about it. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the notice the present life. In fact, the body and the spirit do interact. We know that. And if you are a growing, mature Christian, I believe it will affect your whole facial expressions, your attitude, and your body. Uh, I think if I was not born again at 11 years of age, I don't think I would have lived this long. My mother was a blithering alcoholic. My dad warned me, he said, you'll be like your mother, an alcoholic. And I think of people I grew up with about the same age. They've been through two marriages at least, and... Uh, grossly, grossly overweight. Their health is shot. And I think it's really my Christian life that has kept me alive. It's my Christian life because it kept me away from alcohol, kept me away from terrible living habits. And um, 
sin, much sin, which sin destroys you. The unsaved man lives an unbalanced life. The Christian life will give you one of the fruits of the spirits is self-control. I believe that the Christian life will make you just have a better, I mean, just, just the numbers. I mean, just the way life works. If you're disciplined, you save your money and you don't do foolish things. It's just a basic consequence of sowing the seed. You sow right seed, you, you reap. Now, of course, we know that this is an absolute principle because people do the right things and terrible things can happen. But it's a general principle. You follow these principles, sow the right seed, you reap the right crop. I wish I could have had you with me the other night when I visited this man who's now a believer, uh, late in life became a believer, but he sowed. We grew up together, went to church together, and so we've known each other since we were 13. And if you looked at his face right now, and if you looked at his body, he's been on, on five weeks in the hospital, two weeks in the uh, ICU, which they didn't think he'd make it. But as a result of a life of alcoholism and a life of debauchery with women and carousing, he looks 15 years older than he is, and his liver is shot, his kidneys, they didn't know if the kidneys would even come back, that was one of the problems. And heart problems, I mean, it's endless. He lived a life of sin. And now, at a time in life that could be very nice, it's ruined. Of course, it was ruined way before that. And he will tell you that. But about eight years ago, he called me. He knew, he knew the gospel very well, raised in a Christian home. About eight years ago, he said, I don't know if God could save me. I don't know if I've rejected the light so long. I said, well, you're interested. Uh, what, what do I need to do? I said, you must trust what Christ, Christ has done for you. And then he was all worried about, well, the rest of my life is ruined. I said, no, your life's already ruined. You can redeem something of it. Redeem something of it. And so eight years ago, he got saved. And of course, isn't it interesting when they get saved, the first thing they deal with is that drinking and the womanizing and the carousing. And so probably he's alive today because he got saved eight years ago. Can't undo all the things he did, but he has a chance. So it shows me the basic principle that what you sow, you're going to reap. And if you sow a life of godliness, which is our goal, train yourself in godliness, for the present life, he says, it has profit. For the pre- That's what the text says. But, notice, it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Well, that's even more important because I'm only here 70 or 80 years. So, if you train yourself in godliness, it has profit now and has profit in eternity. But he does say bodily training has some, some value. So, it's not valueless. Now, one of the most striking aspects of aging and one of the most frightening problems of aging is the decline in bodily health. A friend of mine calls the health issue, he calls it the third party in marriage. And the reason he calls that is when one of the partners' health falls apart, the marriage, everything revolves around that health issue. And as you get older, you see a decline in bodily health. It's one of the most difficult areas of aging. This is brought out in the book of Ecclesiastes. I don't know how many of you um, use with children Ecclesiastes 12.1. Whenever I am with children. Whenever I am with children. I love to be with children. In fact, we have a wana every Wednesday night. I go every Wednesday night. I don't do anything. I just circulate and percolate. I love to see all the kids meet some new parents and that. And then we also have a meal with our Awana. So I get a free meal. I'm not against free meals. 
But I always say this to children. Do you know Ecclesiastes 12.1? Any child that knows me knows. I ask them, do you know Ecclesiastes 12.1? Most will say, no, I don't know it. I said, I am asking you to memorize Ecclesiastes 12.1 and, and, and ask your parents. Do you all know what Ecclesiastes 12.1 says? Oh, remember your Creator in the days of your youth before the evil day come. Now, what's the evil day? It's old age and death, which is a shadow. That whole passage at the end of Ecclesiastes 11, beginning of Ecclesiastes 12, says this. Youth is a special time to connect with God. Let me repeat that. Youth is a special time to connect with God. And that's why many people are saved. I was saved at 11 years of age, saved in teen years. Early years of college is a very big time of reaping. It's a time when your heart is tender. You're that, that sapling that can bend, can listen, and God touches the heart. And if the Lord is going to use you, He has to start young. You don't, you don't go to the mission field at 50. No, you need 30 or 40 years on the mission field. You've got to learn the language and learn all the things. You've got to start young. So if the Lord's going to use you as a missionary or in some way, You've got to get started when you're, you're flexible. So that's such an important verse for children and for parents. Remember your Creator and remember Him in the sense of dedication and of commitment and the days of your youth. And then, in a very poetic way, in an almost humorous way, He says in the verses to follow, 1 to 5a, He, he speaks of the body weakening and failing, eyes diminishing, Handshaking, feet shuffling, back bending, teeth missing, voice trembling. The pathetic contrast between the vigor of youth, strength is in the youth, and the crumbling life of strength in old age. Now he says, connect with, the, with your creator when you're young. Because those days are going to come real quickly. They're like a shadow hanging over them. Youth is a special, short little window of time. It's just a short time. Of course, when your youth, it seems eternal. Uh, it seems like it's never going to end. Getting out of junior high, and high school goes a little faster, and college goes real fast, and after that, boy, it picks up the speed. But they don't think it's ever going to end. But it's a little window of time in which God connects with you. And that's why youth ministry is so important in the church. Sunday school is important. Awana is important. Youth activity is important. Reach them then. Because old age hangs over. And it comes real fast. Real fast. And the way that is first seen in those verses is in the crumbling health of your body. And so we have a stewardship of our body to protect it, to care for it, not to abuse it. Now, we've got about Five minutes here. Let me get started in this. I think I can maybe even finish this. I think I'll start this and try to finish this. People talk about the silver bullet to health. Sil the, the, the silver bullet. The, the secret to health. And then people say, well, there's no silver bullet or secret to health. Well, actually there is. And we know it after 30, 40 years now of starting back in the 70s with the aerobic movement James Fix and Cooper's Center in, in, right here, I believe, in Dallas. And in AARP, 
there was a huge article about seven or eight years ago which says physical exercise in a sedentary society affects every organ in the body and particularly the brain and the heart. We live in a sedentary world. It's really counterproductive to health. The way God made designed the body. God made the body to be upright and to be used. Now, this man I just told you about, he's four to five weeks in, in bed, right? In four to five weeks in bed, constantly, he could barely walk when he got out. In fact, he's a big man. And this is how this big man, six foot two, a muscular man, he's walking like this after five or six weeks. The atrophy of his muscles and balance so quickly deteriorated. And they, they, he's got a walker now. Now, before, he was a big, strong truck driver. Now, he's got a walker. It's like he aged 10 years. And I warned him, I said, you fall, you're going to be in real serious trouble because something will break. You don't have much sap flowing. He, the doctor said, you've got to walk every day now. Walk. Build those muscles. You'll, you'll get it back. But what it told me is how quickly we atrophy. Now, one of the problems of modern age is we don't walk. Uh, we can sit all day. I know because I have a sitting job. I could sit all day. And that's not good for you. It's not good for your brain. It's not good for your heart. not good for your blood. It's not good for your blood vessels. Because God didn't make you that way. And so we know now today that the importance of moving this body to help. Now, let me read this, which I was going to read to you in a moment here. Listen to this article on why one reason out of many you need to exercise and use your body. Listen to this. As we age, the hippocampus, an area of the brain that is a key to memory, shrinks, leading to memory problems and possibly dementia. In a study of sedentary men and women, and I, I have a naturally sedentary lifestyle, and I think most of you do. We have jobs at a desk, jobs at a table. Ages 50 to 80, walking around a track 40 minutes a day, Three days a week for six months, their hippocampi actually increased in size. The control group that did not walk had smaller hippocampi when they, than when they started. The study shows that the heart and the brain are intimately linked. Regular exercise keeps the blood vessels healthy, ensures optimal flow of blood to the brain, in addition, aerobic exercise creates high levels of a protein known as the brain-derived neurotropic factor that helps repair and protect the brain. You ever think of the Apostle Paul? He's going to Rome. He's going up to Tarsus. He's going down to Jerusalem. How did he get there? By train? Think of the Lord Jesus in Capernaum, Nazareth. Down to Jerusalem. What are they doing most of the time? Walking. You know, Martin Luther, they're celebrating the 500th anniversary this October of the Reformation. Do you know that Martin Luther walked from Germany to Rome? Remember that when he went to Rome to meet with God? Do you know how, how long, you know, do you know how long the walk was? Anyone take a guess? A thousand miles. He walked a thousand. How many of you here have walked a thousand miles? I, I couldn't. You know, most of us, we walk 20 minutes, we go, oh, I'm exhausted. 
And they're walking all the time. That's a natural thing. God made us. And in fact, look at uh, the proofs for God are just enormous in the body. Look at the feet. All those bones in the feet and how they bend perfectly in your knees. That just happened by evolution. Just, I mean, this body is designed. It's engineered by the greatest engineer who ever lived. And it's made to be upright and to walk and to be used. When you don't use your body, it atrophies quickly, quickly. And when you do exercise, it does respond in weeks and months very quickly. It will respond. And so my dear friend must, as the doctor said, he must walk every day until his strength comes back and it will help him in many other ways. Now, there's many kinds of exercise, but walking is a very natural one. And I say that because some of you are older here. You probably shouldn't run or do other kinds of exercise. And the wonderful thing about walking is that you can look at your surroundings. And if you can walk in nature, if you can walk in a beautiful park and you learn to listen to birds and look at trees. I have an article that came out just this last year. New studies showing, the Japanese did this, that trees emit a chemical. And that being in nature and actually looking at trees changes your perspective. Being in the field, listening to birds. There's something about being in nature that relaxes you and brings your blood pressure down, your pulse down. Well, it's God's design. It's God's cathedral. Walking by a stream. It's a wonderful way to pray. And it's a wonderful way to think deep thoughts. In fact, whenever I go Walking, I always have a pen with me and paper because over and over and over again, deep thoughts come to me. Important thoughts come to me. And if I don't write them down, then I will forget them by the end of my walk. So I try to walk every day. Now, I don't do old ladies walk like this, you know. Now, if you have to start with an old ladies walk, that's no, you know. Man, I'm really going at it. No, you should be vigorous. Be vigorous in your walking. Make sure that when you're done, you're sweating and you're breathing. It's good to breathe. And remember, you're pumping, you're pumping oxygen and rich blood into your brain, into your heart. That's what you do. Very practical thing. But you know what? It'll help you age properly. Keep you smart. You don't want to be dumb. Dumb is not good. It's not smart to be dumb. Another thing is lightweight training. They've taking people in their 90s, and I worked with my dad with this, lived to be 94, in their 90s. Now, you know that at a certain age, you, you lose enormous amount of muscle. Uh, enormous amount of muscle. Six, seven, eight pounds every decade, something like that. Even light weight training for people in their 90s. I see this at the gym, these older people. Thank God that they got this, the brains to do this. They're making them walk. They do these exercises. The muscles in the 90s respond. Respond. And then again, it, 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 it pumps blood. It moves the proteins around. And there's a lot of good things. Another thing is good night's sleep. This is very important. Time magazine, just this past week. Big four or five page article on the newest research on sleep and finding more and more why sleep is very important. Sleep is not a waste of time. While you're sleeping, the body is repairing itself and listen to this. And I know this from personal experience. I always keep a pen and paper, like last night, right by my bed. At night, your brain is organizing and working with the material you put in it. So I, one of my jobs is writing. 
I will be studying the day and writing that. And this is, it's called incubation. And I'll wake up all of a sudden and I've got a problem solved. I have to immediately write it down because oh, I'm going to forget it. I know that. I know or I won't get it right. It's an amazing thing. So while you're sleeping, your brain is organizing the material you put in there. That's why if you put the Word of God in there, that's why I don't believe in preparing Saturday night. Some of these preachers Saturday night are preparing their material. Well, here's what they're missing. I always worked on my sermons Monday all day. That My hardest day for working on a sermon was Monday because it allowed my brain all week to work on that material and turn it over. So even when I'm sleeping at night, the computer's working. You know, I don't know it. I don't even want to know it. And the computer's working. And then all of a sudden, I'm seeing how to move this material around, getting fresh thoughts, illustrations. So throughout the week, I'm allowing the process of incubation in the brain to go on. It's an amazing machine. Better than any computer you have. I don't even like computers. The brain is far more complex than any, any computer. So, you have to feed your brain. You need a good night's sleep. Now, other newer studies, this is only in the last 10 years, have said you cannot sit all day. Now, again, I've had this lifestyle, and many of you have probably had it, of sitting. Years in school, my, my work is sitting, studying, on the phone. So, in the last 10 years, they've said this is not good for you. And you can't make up for it with 30 minutes exercise a day. It will not counteract it. And so, maybe you see these advertisements now stand-up desks. So I had about eight or nine years ago, I had a stand-up desk made for me. It rolls around, but it's very solid. And I keep my computer on it, and I have another little box that can go on, and I can read that. So when I first started standing many hours a day, I could feel it in my legs. I thought, oh, man, I'll never make this. It took about a couple of weeks, and all of a sudden, I wasn't hurting at all. So, it was strengthening my bones and strengthening my legs to stand. And now, if you look at advertisement, any magazines, I just saw one of the magazines on the plane. They've got these new desks. That, it's a really great idea. You can bring it right up. It goes down. It comes up. So, you think about that. Some of you who sit all day, it's not good for you. And we want to be healthy for God. We're not just doing this so we look great. This is probably not going to help you to look great. But we're doing this to have our health and our well-being in age so we can be good, vigorous servants for God. That's why we're doing this. We have a purpose in this. And I believe it's God's will that you take care of your body and you are a good steward of your body. And if we can learn from science, use it. Use it for the glory of God. If science is teaching us and you know, there's nothing to be afraid of science. You know what science is? Science is pulling back the screen of God's marvelous universe. Now, there's junk in science. There's wrong application of science and philosophy in science. But science is simply pulling back the screen and going, oh, it's far more complex than I ever dreamed of. We have a girl in our, our church, brilliant girl. She's working on a PhD in astrophysics. And very interesting to talk to. So she was telling me, our breakthroughs in astronomy are coming almost by the day. Almost by the day. And if you use Google News, they have a section in Google News on health, science, and in the science section. And you can just get it quickly, in about a minute or two. You'll see almost every day or every week, 
the breakthroughs in astronomy of how huge, complex the whole universe, far greater than we thought. And then go in the other direction in biology, and the breakthroughs are coming every month. New things we're discovering. Well, all we're doing is opening up the world God designed. He's the designer and the maker of it. But he not only designed a physical universe and a physical body, he also designed a moral universe and body. And that's what wisdom deals with. How to use all this stuff. How to be wise with it. And discerning. And to be disciplined. And to be moral and righteous. There's a a moral law, a moral code that God has revealed to us. And if we follow that, we have the best chance for a well life. Let's pray. I went over time, but you will forgive me. And if you don't, nothing I can do about it anyway. <laughs> Lord, help us to be vigorous for you. May we be good stewards of this marvelous machine, the human body. You designed it in your infinite knowledge. And we still don't understand the brain and the intricacies of the whole hormonal system of the body and the marvel of the body. It's your personal design that you gave even for your son to have throughout eternity. This is amazing. Help us to be good stewards of our brains, of our bodies, of our attitudes, of our relationships. We thank you that you have not left us adrift to figure these things out. You have told us in your word. We give thanks and may we be obedient believers. In the name of our Lord, amen.